I like the sound. 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 A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. A ragbag podcast. Now, you may have correctly identified the source of this sound already. It's a basketball. Yeah. It goes on for hours. It's from one of those YouTube videos designed to help you sleep. So if you put on the sound of the basketball bouncing and you stick your head on the pillow, you know, take a long, deep breath, and then you shout, Will you stop bouncing that basketball? I am trying to sleep. I assume that's how it works anyway. This week, we're going to be talking about the sound of sport in the company of returning guest and friend of the show, Not Another Poet. We'll also be finding out why tennis players make those noises. Let's hear from Not Another Poet. I believe you've, you've talked about this before, but the sound of snooker balls... Um both snooker balls hitting each other and also hitting the pocket. It's a very pleasure, pleasurable sound. Though. Yeah, because it's one <laughs> ball and the other and they're two different sounds, aren't they? So you get that. Mm. And then mm. the sound of it hitting the pocket is a specific sound as well. Yeah, there's a lot of nice sounds. I think because it's, it's so silent as well that you kind of focus in on those things quite a lot. 25 32 33 The main sort of um, thrust of it for me when I think about sounds associated with the sport is the sound of of the crowd watching the sport yeah. Whereas, uh, I mean, snooker audiences are a funny bunch because they, they, they have to, they're told to be quiet. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of unique amongst sports audiences, I guess, in, in that, um, you know, sports fans would be sort of shouting their heads off, whereas snooker audiences have to be quiet and then get kind of like the World Championship finals and stuff. And the audience is going, constantly being told, be quiet or you will be ejected <laughs> from this building. And um, yeah. I could probably find a few clips of <laughs> of that to play in. Um, there, there are some moments in football which sometimes, whenever, for example, if a player strikes the ball really, really, really hard and then it hits the crossbar, you can actually hear the yeah before the audience can react because it's so fast. That's uh, or sometimes it hits the net and you hear the sort of um, before the audience can react. That's mm. quite cool, but it doesn't happen very often. Because it has to be, I think it has to be some special sort of shot for that to beat the crowd's sound, you know, almost. Yeah, yeah, I see what I mean, yeah. <laughs> but during lockdown, when there wasn't any crowds, you could sort of hear all about, you could hear things you'd never heard before as a, as a sports fan. You could hear, like, when the players went down, they sort of screamed, or, you know, they do that quite a lot, but. Yeah, you yeah. don't realise how much they actually <laughs> do that. Um, most of it's obviously fake, but surely not. <laughs> so what do you mean, fake? <laughs> and then this hang- 
yeah. And you hear them sort of shouting at each other and talk, even sort of the instructions are giving each other and, and things like that. Um, which is, yeah, quite quite different. I was thinking about, I think because of lockdown and not being able to do these things for quite a long time, I was thinking about the sound, the experience of being in a crowd of people, whether it's watching a football game or being at a gig or anything like that, really, and just mm. being around that large number of people who are all doing the same thing as you are doing. And I was thinking about that experience just in terms of, like, what it sounds like, you know, because it's one of those things that you kind of, um, you don't know what you've got until it's gone, you know, and you're mm. spent the whole of, sort of last year not being able to do anything like that. And, uh, yeah, there's certain, like, experiences that I was thinking of. Um, the, the, that's, I, don't, I don't usually go to sporting things because I'm not really that much of a sports guy but when I went to the Paralympics I remember um, the uh, the atmosphere in the big stadium I saw quite a few of the, the events the Paralympics in 2012 and the biggest like the loudest sound I've ever heard in my life I think was like uh, watching David Weir the Paralympian the uh, wheelchair athlete and he won this race he got gold medal for it and like um and, and he, he just he just kind of did it all at the last minute he was kind mm. of slightly behind and then he did this kind of trick that I'm sure that was kind of premeditated that he planned to do it to, to just make a big show of it so it's kind of like whoosh, he just kind of rushed forward like swept right over the line and the reaction from the crowd was deafening you know yeah. everyone was like Rah! it's just like everybody in the stadium reacted in the same way you know mm. And uh, yeah, it was a nice, uh, it's a nice experience. That yeah. And then comes Josh Cassidy on the outside. The the Korean is there as well. Jude Kim, and they will take the bell this time. Cassidy hits the front. The rear is winning. Can he do it? This is where Dave needs to make his move. He's got a very very strong closing 400 meters. He's going to let athletes come past him, let them fill up the outside lanes, and use the track to his advantage. He's under pressure from the Thai athlete Pralat Bahoran. Who was fifth in the 5,000 and was a bronze medalist in the Beijing 800? But Rear is away and Rear strikes for home. And we have 200 meters to go. And it looks as though he's going to do it. The Horan of Thailand is in pursuit. Then it's the Korean. Marcel Hoog's there. But Rear now strikes for home and into the straight. The crowd rises to him. Has he got the speed to hold off the Horan of Thailand? It looks as though he has. The Horan's trying to challenge. Yeah, I remember in when I was in Beijing and I, I watched. Um, I went to an athletics world championships, and the crowd was quite subdued. As in in China, sports crowds tend to be quite a lot less, a lot quieter than, than here maybe. But then Usain Bolt was running and came out, and it was just all changes. The sort of the the whole atmosphere just um, exploded really, just because of this one man come out mm -hmm. and it's probably the closest I've ever seen to a kind of Jesus kind of figure one person that can sort of have this adulation because um, when you're watching football perhaps the whole team but, but there's one person can like just change 
everyone's behavior and then everyone's suddenly three times louder than they were before yeah that i think that may be the thing about athletics like but when when it it sort of transcends nationality so there's not like um you know doesn't matter where you're from if you're watching you say bolt run a race you're cheering for you say bolt yeah everyone's <laughs> on his side yeah yeah and uh, yeah, I think it was like that with the David Weir thing. Like every everybody in the stadium mm. was cheering for that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it was the same with it's uh, <laughs> the guy who murdered his girlfriend. What's his name? <laughs> Oscar Pistorius. Oscar Pistorius. Yes, it was that. Well, but mm. the thing is, Oscar. It was a different crowd reaction for Oscar Pistorius because he was literally was so fast mm. that he like he won the race that he was running. I just saw, I just saw the one race that it was in. It, the crowd was slightly confused by the whole thing because it happened so quickly, and he mm. was literally twice as fast as everybody in the race. <laughs> um, so it was like the people were cheering, but I personally was like, "What just happened? <laughs> I don't understand how yeah, what 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 what, what what happened there." Um, it was really weird. So it wasn't it wasn't that big kind of noise. It was kind of um, people were just talking to each other. You know, people were going, "Do you see what happened?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, I think that that might have been a, a, quite an historic thing. I think that might have been the last race that Pistorius actually took place in. That I'm describing there because he, he was he was arrested shortly after that. Now then, as promised, I am going to be providing an answer to the question, why do tennis players grunt? Well, I'm not going to. Charles Spence is going to. I've got his book in front of me. Charles Spence, uh, you may remember, was uh, quoted at length from an article that he wrote about the sound of food in episode one of I Like the Sound. Another returning spot for Charles Spence here. This book is called Sense Hacking. I highly recommend it. It's a really great book. I will be quoting from it again, no doubt, because there's so much material about sound in here. This just happens to be the first time I'm quoting from it. But uh, as I say, I will be revisiting this in a later episode, just so you know. Why do tennis players grunt? Have you ever wondered why tennis players grunt on court? Maria Sharapova, the Williams sisters, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, to name but a few, are all infamous for doing so. Prior to her fall from grace following a failed drugs test, Sharapova would scream at more than 100 decibels, leading fellow tennis player Greg Rosetsky to suggest that she was louder than a 747 jet though I suppose it all depends on how close you are standing to said plane. Such noises are not simply the result of the player's physical exertion on court, but may actually be serving a strategic role by making it harder for their opponent to hear the grunter's shots. In research conducted together with my colleagues at the University of Jena in Germany, we demonstrated using a tennis game on TV that was stopped suddenly mid-volley that where viewers believed the ball would end up depended, in part, on what they heard. When the loudness of the noise made by the racket contacting the ball was amplified, people were convinced that the ball would bounce further into the opponent's side of the court 
than if the contact sound was made a little quieter. Note that participants could clearly see the ball being struck, and all they were asked to do was to indicate on a drawing of the court where they thought the ball would land. The sound of the ball's contact with the racket, in other words, was technically irrelevant to their task. And yet, as we have seen time and again throughout this book, our brains can't help but integrate what is seen with what is heard, especially if the two sensory inputs seem to belong together. In this case, the cues were integrated in order to arrive at a judgment concerning the ball's trajectory. That multi-sensory judgment, based as it is on information from both eye and ear, will usually be more accurate than a judgment call that depends on just sight or sound. In most situations, two senses really are better than one. It is just that in our study we deliberately distorted the sound in order to introduce a conflict between eye and ear. This is a favourite technique of research scientists who study the senses and their interaction. While tennis players can't, as yet, change the sound that their racket makes from one stroke to the next, what they can do is grunt loudly, just as they strike the ball. Time it right, and this noise will interfere with an opponent's ability to hear the contact sound, impairing their judgment of where the shot is going to end up, giving the grunter an unfair advantage. Subsequent research from my colleagues in Jenner has discovered that the grunt selectively impairs judgment of the length of the shot, but not its angle, suggesting an interaction-based rather than distraction-based explanation. No wonder that some commentators mutter about gamesmanship when discussing the grunters and screamers. Former world number one Martina Navratilova put it more bluntly still, asserting that grunting is cheating and it's got to stop. Another good crowd sound is when, in football particularly, when, when the whole, or at least a good proportion of the fans think it's think the think the ball's going in when they when they shoot, and then it doesn't quite go in, mm-hmm. and they all come to the realization at the same time. So you get this kind of like, yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. That's a great sort of moment in, um, and it, yeah, it seems to happen quite a lot. I think perhaps at a certain angle as well of the stadium, maybe. Everyone, it looks from their angle like it's in, but it's not. That's a nice sound. Yeah, it's kind of, it reminded me of that because when, when I'd, you know, I don't watch football very much, but in the recent um, England games, I was watching England play in the European Cup, and like every time there was a goal, I literally would wait for about 30 seconds before I celebrated. <laughs> Because yeah. I've just got used to that sort of. There've been so many times of, of kind of going. Yeah! <laughs> Somebody has to tap me on the shoulder and tell me it wasn't a real goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens now. You get people. You get disallowed goals, and then you get the opposition celebrating as if it's a goal for them. It's kind of it's a weird, weird situation now. do a bit about running as well so the sound of kind of uh, the sounds that you hear when you're running 
in terms of your own footsteps, but also you can hear your own breathing and you can hear your own heartbeat. Mm. All three at once. Yeah. And um, it's not necessarily that you're focusing on them, but you kind of notice them sometimes mm. when when you're in that sort of um, situation. I wanted to ask you because you you were an orphan, so yeah. Um, how was that? <laughs> mm. It's not really a question about the sound; it's more about how how it's running an orphan. <laughs> um, well, it was it was great to finish it. Um, I'm not someone who's going to say that everyone should go out and run a marathon because I've run one and I haven't. I've got no um, no ambition to run another well, one. Well, you can rest assured I'm um, not going to. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think you should run. I think people should run. I think people should run. Oh yeah, ten yeah. k maybe as a race. I think you should put yourself in for a ten k race and against people. And it's really great to be. As an, the events are great. You, 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 people clapping you and people. Um, great atmosphere and running past people and competing with people it's, it's great but um, but yeah a marathon is too much for most people including me really <laughs> um, I, had, I got an okay it, the training was, was good I mean I got into good shape obviously and um, I, I like running so it was fine but it was a bit much 26 miles kind of put me off running for a few for a while after so but yeah, there's a kind of therapeutic thing with running, which if you can get, if you can, once you get into it and you find a good rhythm, and I, I guess sound is is something to do with that as well, like a, a repetitive sound, a bit like meditating, like you hear the sort of um, same sound again and again and again, and you're going through the same thing again and again and again. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is for me whenever I've, mm. whenever I've, um, not that I've read for time but, but um, yeah. when I used to run <laughs> um, mm. it was it was very much about the uh, the the rhythm not necessarily the sound but more kind of the rhythm of the of the thing and I think I I think I used to um, sometimes I used to listen to music when I was running but sometimes I used to kind of make my own music in my head kind of mm-hmm. with, with the with the rhythm of the running as the beat. Yeah, um, that's, that's good. Yeah. Something I did something I did when I was running the marathon, um, which was quite an interesting motivational technique, is that I sort of forbid myself from listening to music unless I was running. Okay. So I kind of starved myself. So if I wanted to listen to music I had to go out for a run. So that's quite a if you're that's quite a I don't I don't do it anymore, but I recommend that to anyone who wants to run more because you sort of have because then you if you have an urge to listen to music then get out and run and you can do it and then it, and then you also have that positive um, reinforcement I guess of you treating yourself almost to music by yeah that. okay yeah yeah They say sport doesn't work on the radio. But what do they know? Let's spend the final three minutes of this podcast listening to a game of doubles table tennis. Notice the lack of grunting.
I Like The Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. I'm the author of several books which you should definitely investigate as soon as possible. Not Another Poet is one half of the band New Age of Decay. I highly recommend that you check out their new album. It's on Bandcamp right now. Go for it. For more information about me and my work, please visit frankburton.co.uk. My other podcast is called Ragbag Presents. Also available is the four-part podcast series I made with David Ivar, celebrating 20 years of the band Herman Dune. It's called Not On Top, and it's wonderful. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Get in touch. Let us know what you like the sound of. I will see you soon.